Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 59th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II, delivered during the years 1979 through 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using Theology and Pedagogy. It is now time to conclude the reflections and analyses based on the words of Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, by which he appealed to the human heart, exhorting it to purity. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. We have said repeatedly that these words, those spoken once to the limited audience of this sermon, apply to man at all times and in all places. They appeal to the human heart in which the innermost and in some way the most essential guiding thread of history is inscribed. It is the history of good and evil, the beginning of which is linked in Genesis with the mysterious tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at the same time, it is the history of salvation whose word is the gospel and whose power is the Holy Spirit given to those who accept the gospel with a sincere heart. If Christ's appeal to the human heart, and before that his appeal to the beginning, allows us to construct or at least to outline an anthropology that we can call theology of the body, this theology is at the same time a pedagogy. Pedagogy seeks to educate man by setting the requirements before him giving reasons for them, and indicating the ways that lead to their fulfillment. Christ's statements have this end as well. They are pedagogical statements. They contain a pedagogy of the body, expressed in a concise and, at the same time, remarkably complete way. Both the answers given to the Pharisees about the indissolubility of marriage, and the words of the Sermon on the Mount about mastery over concupiscence show, at least indirectly, that the Creator has assigned the body to man as a task, the body in its masculinity and femininity, and that in masculinity and femininity he assigned to him in some way his own humanity as a task, that is, the dignity of the person and also the transparent sign of interpersonal communion in which man realizes himself through the authentic gift of self. While setting before man the requirements that correspond to the tasks entrusted to him, the Creator at the same time points out to man, male and female, the ways that lead to accepting them and carrying them out. When we analyze these key texts of the Bible, penetrating to the very root of the meanings they contain, we discover precisely the anthropology that can be called theology of the body. And this theology of the body is the basis of the most appropriate method of the pedagogy of the body, that is, of man's education, or rather self-education. This takes on particular importance 
for contemporary man whose science in the fields of biophysiology and biomedicine is very advanced. Yet this science deals with man under a certain aspect and is thus partial rather than comprehensive. We know well the functions of the body as an organism, the functions linked with the masculinity and the femininity of the human person. But in and of itself, such science does not yet develop the consciousness of the body as a sign of the person, as a manifestation of the spirit. The whole development of contemporary science of the body as organism has rather the character of biological knowledge because it is based on the disjunction between what is bodily and what is spiritual in man. When one uses such one-sided knowledge of the body's functions as an organism, it is not difficult to reach the point of treating the body more or less systematically as an object of manipulations. In this case, man no longer identifies himself subjectively, so to speak, with his own body, because it is deprived of the meaning and dignity that stem from the fact that this body is proper to the person. Here we touch problems that often need fundamental solutions, which are impossible without an integral vision of man. Precisely here, it becomes clear that the theology of the body, which we are drawing from those key texts of Christ's words, becomes the fundamental method of pedagogy or of man's education from the point of view of the body in the full consideration of its masculinity and femininity. This pedagogy can be understood under the aspect of a specific spirituality of the body. In fact, the body in its masculinity or femininity is given as a task to the human spirit. This has been expressed stupendously by St. Paul in his own language. And through an adequate maturity of the spirit, the body too becomes a sign of the person of which the person is conscious and an authentic matter of the communion of persons. In other words, through spiritual maturity, man discovers the spousal meaning that is proper to the body. Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount indicate that in itself concupiscence does not reveal that meaning to man, but on the contrary darkens and obscures it. Purely biological knowledge of the functions of the body as organism, connected with the masculinity and femininity of the human person, can help to discover the authentic spousal meaning of the body only if it goes hand in hand with an adequate spiritual maturity of the human person. Without this, such knowledge can have effects that are quite the opposite, and this is confirmed by many experiences of our time. From the, this point of view, one must consider the pronouncements of the contemporary church in a clear-sighted way, grasping and interpreting them adequately, and also applying them in practice, that is, pedagogy, requires that deepened theology of the body which we draw in its definitive form above, all from the key words of Christ. As for the contemporary 
pronouncements of the church, one must come to know the chapter entitled The Dignity of Marriage and the Family and its Appreciation in the Pastoral Constitution of Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, Part Two, Chapter One, and after it of Paul VI's encyclical Humane Vitae. Without any doubt, the words of Christ to which we have devoted a lengthy analysis had no other goal than the appreciation of the dignity of marriage and the family. This is the reason for the fundamental convergence between them and the content of both above-mentioned teachings of the contemporary church. Christ spoke to man at all times and in all places. The teachings of the church intend to apply Christ's words and must therefore be reread according to the key of that theology and that pedagogy which is rooted in and supported by Christ's words. It is difficult to go through an overall analysis of the teachings of the church's supreme magisterium, to which we just referred. We will limit ourselves to quoting some passages. This is how Vatican II which places the appreciation of the dignity of marriage and the family among the most urgent problems of the church in the contemporary world, characterizes the situation in this area. It is not everywhere that the dignity of this institution, that is, of marriage and the family, shines with the same brightness because it is obscured by polygamy, the plague of divorce, so-called free love, and other deformations. In addition, conjugal love is often profaned by egoism, hedonism, and illicit practices against generation. Gaudium et Spes, 47. When Paul VI explains this final problem in Humane Vitae, he writes, among other things, it is also to be feared that the man, growing used to the use of contraceptive practices may finally lose reverence for the woman and may come to the point of considering her as a mere instrument of selfish enjoyment and no longer as his respected and beloved companion. Pope Paul VI, Humane Vitae 17. Do we not find ourselves in the orbit of the same concern that had once dictated Christ's words about the unity and indissolubility of marriage, and likewise those in the Sermon on the Mount about purity of heart and mastery of the concupiscence of the flesh, words developed later with such clear-sightedness by the Apostle Paul? In the same spirit, when he speaks about the demands of Christian morality, the author of Humane Vitae also presents the possibility of fulfilling them. Mastery over instinct by one's reason and free will undoubtedly requires ascesis so that the effective manifestations of conjugal life may be in accord with the right order, in particular with regard to observing periodic consonance. Yet this discipline, which is proper to the purity of married couples, far from harming conjugal love, rather confers on it a higher human value. It demands continual effort. Above all, this effort was called osseous. Yet, thanks to its beneficent influence, husband and wife develop their personalities integrally, enriching each other with spiritual values. It favors attention to one's partner, helps both parties to drive out egoism, the enemy of true love, 
and deepens their sense of responsibility. Pope Paul VI, Humani Vitae 21. Let us dwell on these few texts. They especially, the last one, show that the theology of the body, whose basis we sought above all in the words of Christ himself, is quite indispensable for an adequate understanding of the magisterial teaching of the contemporary church. It is precisely this theology, as we said already, that becomes the fundamental method of the whole Christian pedagogy of the body. In view of the words just quoted, one can say that the goal of the pedagogy of the body lies in ensuring that affective manifestations, above all those that belong specifically to conjugal life, conform to the moral order, or, in the end, to the dignity of the persons. In these words, we come back to the problem of the reciprocal relations between eros and ethos, which we already discussed earlier. Theology understood as a method of the pedagogy of the body prepares us also for further reflections about the sacramentality of human life, and in particular, of married life, the gospel of the purity of heart, yesterday and today, as we conclude the present cycle of our considerations with this phrase, before going on to the next cycle, in which the basis of analysis will be Christ's words about the resurrection of the body, we want to devote some attention to the need to create a climate favorable to education and chastity, which Paul the Sixth encyclical mentions. We want to focus these observations on the problem of the ethos of the body in art and media, with particular attention to the situations we encounter in contemporary life. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 59th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. This 59th catechesis is from the first part of Pope John Paul II's magnum opus, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The first part focuses our attention on the words of Christ. What did Jesus say? And how do we know what Jesus said? From the Gospels. The Gospels give us the words and the deeds of Jesus. The historicity of the Gospels is affirmed by the Church in its dogmatic constitution on divine revelation of the Second Vatican Council. What did Jesus say? The first chapter of the Theology of the Body reminds us of Christ's appeal to the beginning when asked by the Pharisees about the legitimacy of a bill of divorce. Jesus reminds us that in the beginning God created them male and female. For this reason a man clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And on that basis, Pope John Paul II taught us about the original innocence, the original unity, the original holiness, and the original sin, all found in those opening chapters of Genesis to which the Lord referred. But in the second chapter of this first part of the theology of the body, the part we're in now, Christ our Lord is appealing not to the beginning, but to the human heart. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks with a disordered desire upon the other has already committed adultery in the heart. So now not only are we not to be immodest physically, acting out, now we're not even supposed to have a disordered desire. He takes it up a notch, and he gives us the grace to do it, to be holy, to be saints. This part of chapter 2, which we've just heard, 
focuses our attention on theology and pedagogy. Theology is the science of God. Theos means God. The science of God. There's natural theology. What do we know about God? Just with the natural light of reason. Aristotle did not know Moses. He did not know Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But he could recognize a gradation of order, a gradation of being, regularity in nature. He could recognize the natural law, even if he wouldn't use those words. If you read the Nicomachean Ethics, if you read his treatment on the virtues throughout his writings. Pedagogy, on the other hand, is the science of teaching. How is something taught, and what is taught? And so when the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, links theology and pedagogy in this second chapter of the first part of the Theology of the Body, focusing our attention on the words of Christ, who is the great pedagogue, who is the great teacher, Christ Jesus himself, the Lord God. In many and varied ways he spoke to us of old through the prophets, but in the fullness of time he has spoken to us through his Son, heart to heart. Christ our Lord with his sacred heart appeals to us, to the depths of our being. Pope John Paul II in this 59th Catechesis reminds us that Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount appealing to the human heart, apply to man at all times and in all places. Here we see that our Holy Father is not a relativist. Well, well, that's true for you. That's what you think. No, he's saying the words of Jesus Christ found in the gospel are for all times and all places. Well, Jesus said that in Palestine. Well, the center of the Catholic Church is in Rome. Yes, but the faith is for all peoples. The faith is for all times. And if it is true what the Lord has said, that we are not to commit adultery, we're not to be sexually impure, we're not to have impure desires, is that just a religious statement? Or does that correspond to a natural virtue such as chastity, such as temperance, such as prudence, such as justice? All of those virtues naturally knowable and all of them resonate with the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church, which is but an echo of the words of Christ. The Holy Father, after he had given this 59th Catechesis, some years later, he gave the world his encyclical on the splendor of truth. It comes to mind when we hear that the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, appealing to the human heart, apply to man at all times and in all places, doesn't it sound like the Lord Jesus is making a truth claim when he says, do not even look with a disordered desire upon the other, not only not to commit adultery, the splendor of the truth of the gospel, the splendor of the truth of the theology of the body. You shall not commit adultery, not only that, but you should not look at another with a disordered desire. These words from the Sermon on the Mount St. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, so much a part of our Holy Father's reflection and analysis. Pope John Paul II, in his 59th Catechesis, reminds us that the basis of the theology of the body is found in the words of Christ. It's quite indispensable, the theology of the body, for an adequate understanding. If we don't get the theology of the body, we're not going to get the words of Christ. And if we don't get the words of Christ, we're not going to know ourselves or God, for that is why Christ came, to teach us about the Father. The Father and I are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Jesus came to teach us also about ourselves. We cannot understand the teachings of the magisterium, Pope John Paul II says, if we do not understand the theology of the body. And the teachings of the church intend to apply Christ's words and must be reread according to the key of the theology of the body, says Pope John Paul II in this 59th Catechesis. There have been some who would say, oh, well, those were just pious talks the Pope gave every Wednesday now and then. Well, here it seems he's saying it's necessary. It's the key to the teachings of the church. Why? Because the church founded by Jesus Christ and the theology of the body is based on the words of Jesus Christ. The teachings of the church regard faith and morals, what we are to believe and what good we are to do and what evil we are to avoid. And the theology of the body addresses just those things. Original unity of the human race, original holiness of the human race, original justice of the human race, the original sin of the human race, the redemption wrought in Christ Jesus in his body and soul on the cross, bridegroom of the church, the sixth and ninth commandments calling us to purity, chastity, modesty, and virtue, that is a part of the moral teaching of the church. Pope John Paul II specifically mentions in this 59th Catechesis, three passages from the contemporary magisterium, the genetic order of them. First, Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, specifically the part on dignity of marriage and the family and its appreciation, part 2, chapter 1, article 47. Pope John Paul II participated as a council father at the Second Vatican Council, and in a real way he is the implementer of the council. He participated in all its sessions, and then for all those years of his pontificate, he gave us the new code of canon law for the Latin and for the Eastern Church. He gave us the Catechism of the Catholic Church. He gave us the theology of the body. You can see in his reference to Gaudium et Spes here, perhaps a kernel of why he founded the pontifical John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family, because he sees it as central to the theology of the body, which he sees as central to understanding the teachings of Christ. The second magisterial text or teaching of the church, which the Holy Father mentions in this 59th Catechesis is Pope Paul VI's encyclical letter on the transmission of human life, Humani Vitae. He cites specifically the 17th and the 21st articles. Pope Paul VI exalts holy marriage and exalts the transmission of human life as procreation, working with the Creator. Such a noble venture which husband and wife are privileged to engage in but there are responsibilities, not just the rights. The third magisterial teaching of the church is the theology of the body, these conferences, this magnum opus. If we don't get the theology of the body, we won't get Gaudium et Spes, we won't get Humani Vitae, we won't get the theology of the body. And the theology of the body has its basis, its roots, in the very words of Jesus Christ. In the beginning it was not such. God created them male and female. In the divine image, he created them. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks with that disordered desire upon the other has already committed adultery in his heart. And the Holy Father's analyses of those passages of sacred scripture, and in chapter 3 of this first part, he'll look at another passage, another of the key sayings of the Lord Jesus, 
He helps us to better appreciate who we are and whose we are, the dignity of holy marriage, the dignity of the family. I thought for the balance of our program, we could look more closely at these three passages cited by our Holy Father. We're looking in the context of the theology of the body, so we'll look at Gaudium et Spes 47, Humani Vitae 17, and Humani Vitae 21. The passage cited from Gaudium et Spes went like this. It is not everywhere that the dignity of this institution, marriage and the family, shines with the same brightness because it is obscured by polygamy, the plague of divorce, so-called free love, and other deformations. In addition, conjugal love is often profaned by egoism, hedonism, and illicit practices against generation. There's a lot of meat right there. The institution of marriage not shining with brightness. It should shine with brightness. It should shine with the brightness of God's grace by the holiness of the lives of the spouses and their children. The three things mentions as obscuring the splendor of marriage, polygamy, multiple husbands, multiple wives. Multiple husbands is actually polyandry, but it's understood. In the West, by our no-fault divorce and remarriage, we have serial polygamy. Pope John Paul II cites this passage of Gaudium et Spes, which calls divorce a plague. A plague is nothing good. A plague is everything bad. Let our yes be yes and our no be no, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Till death do us part. Did I mean it? Then I need to call on God's grace. You need to call on God's grace to be faithful to those vows. So-called free love obscures the splendor of marriage, the splendor of the family. Shacking up is how we would refer to it in our day. It's a false love. It's a deformation. Conjugal love profaned by egoism. It's all about me. I'm only concerned about my pleasure or my likes. Hedonism. Only pleasure is involved. Illicit practices against generation. Here the council does not specifically spell out the condom or the oral contraceptive pill or the intrauterine device or vasectomies or elective hysterectomies. But I think that's what's in mind. And since Pope John Paul II helped to write that document, Gaudium et Spes, Article 47, perhaps that's why he's mentioning it here. The second magisterial text, which the Holy Father cites in this 59th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, is Humani Vitae 17. It goes like this, It is also to be feared that the man growing used to the use of contraceptive practices may finally lose reverence for woman and may come to the point of considering her as a mere instrument of selfish enjoyment and no longer his respected and beloved companion. We see Pope Paul VI here echoing Gaudium et Spes. He doesn't use the word egoism, he uses the word selfish. He doesn't use the word hedonism, he uses enjoyment. He doesn't use the word illicit practices against generation, he uses contraceptive practices seems our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, has been a very keen student of these things, even as it is said that he had helped Pope Paul VI to write that seminal encyclical on human love and the transmission of human life. The third and longest passage which Pope John Paul II cites in this 59th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, comes from Humani Vitae, Article 21 goes like this, mastery over instinct, that's virtue, by one's reason, our natural ability to know, and free will, powers of the soul, undoubtedly 
requires asesis, uh, discipline, so that the affective manifestations of conjugal life to make love may be in accord with the right order. That's virtue again. In particular, with regard to observing periodic continence. Nobody ever died from not making love, okay? Yet this discipline, which is proper to the purity of married couples, periodic continence, people who are not married have perpetual continence, far from hurting conjugal love, rather confers on it a higher human value. What's good? Well, this is good. And there's more good to talk about, but we've run out of time. So we'll continue here next week. Until next time, God bless you.